welcome to the cast of Caught, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my Cotet, the man who wants to buy a piece of Disney property. <laughs> Just kidding. DJ! La, 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 la. No <laughs> Disneyland for me, man. I'm going to tune that one out. Yeah, right. I'm going to go into your house and it's just going to be like an entire wall dedicated to all your Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> I, you know, I my first experience with Disneyland was going to Epcot Center. Mm. And it was garbage. And so then I didn't go back until um, probably one of the times I was visiting my grandmother. And even then it was like just a lark to go stay in one of those 50s style um, mm-hmm. retro future hotels and like mm-hmm. enjoy that little bit and go to the Harry Potter land. And so, gotcha. so you were in Florida. Yeah. 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 See, I go to that's Disney world. I usually go to Disneyland, which is like the small old one, which mm-hmm. I like, but that being said, I know it's not for everyone. <laughs> anyway, this is not a Disneyland podcast, at least not yet. So let's talk about what we're going to be talking about. Oh, plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, Part 1, Todash, Chapter 7, Sections 9 through 16. And then we'll close out the show with a listener question because, yes, I did remember to post one this time. <laughs> <laughs> DJ, I haven't even asked you, Are you how are you doing today? Are you doing good? Oh, uh, you know, each day is a gift. Uh, some days give more than others. Uh, mm-hmm, discussing mm-hmm. moving to other states and My relocating. State. See, uh, what's going to happen is we're going to swap. I'm going to finally move to Portland right when you move to California. You need to, like, house house trade? Maybe that's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, keep me posted because obviously, you know, <laughs> I want to know. Anyway, so... DJ, let's get into this. Okay, uh, okay. Be- But before we do that, can you please remind our listeners of what our spoiler policy is? Uh, like a, a giant Y cut in your chest, we will draw the line across your autopsy to let you know when we are going into the spoiler zone. Good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I have actually, so um, wh- when I started with that, I want to actually talk about something really quick before we really dive in. Okay. And that's this I see dead people stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm completely fine with you seeing dead people, but I have problems with the logic of seeing dead people. So okay. if if we take an example like I just mentioned for the spoiler zone and we look at that, when does the autopsy happen to a dead person? After they're dead. Okay. And in the other reflections of dead people, we get the like tragedy of their actual death, right? Yes. So then why would the tragedy of their after death be reflected in their death body? Wouldn't it just be whatever accident happened to them? Their autopsy would be post-mortem. So like if they're a spirit, their spirit wouldn't have experienced that particular trauma, right? That's a very good point, which leads me to the only explanation is he was tortured and killed by someone who started by cutting him with a Y circumcision. Okay. That's my only, except for then why would he be stitched up? Yeah, exactly. Mm, mm. Ooh, logic problem. Yeah. Plot hole. (laughs) I've seen this a a number of times with like ghosts where you'll have a bunch of ghosts that are like, oh, he tragically hung himself. And so he looks like this and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. But then like you'll get one that's like autopsy scars. And I'm like, well, I know that this is associated with death. However, (laughs) 
Mm, unless it's actually like some medical examiner serial killer who's cutting people <laughs> open and then he covers his tracks by like sewing it back up so people just assume that it is a body that he's done an autopsy on and not someone he vivisected. We're really having to stretch to make that logic work. So <laughs> well, I... I mean, you know, is that Stephen King paying it forward? He really wants us to stretch our like and exercise our imagination muscles. <laughs> so uh, I salute you, sir. Oh my god! So you know, I always look at the Google alerts and I try to like check and see if there's any Dark Tower relevant news. Okay. So today, the first thing I clicked on was this article that turned out to be about something that happened to him, like. 10 years ago but it was like stephen king was hospitalized for 25 weeks it looked like a freaking obituary my heart stopped so journalists of the world do not do this to me if you're gonna write about some stuff like this you need to make it clear from the start like it didn't explain the timeline until like three paragraphs into the thing i was like is he dead is he in the hospital? Oh, What's so you happening? thought like it was like live real time journalism, yes. not yes. Don't they normally like tack a date up in the corner? Well, the date like the date was from today. The article came out today. Hold on, let me find mm. it. Doop, doop, doop. Okay, so you can use that kind of context to suss out like what it means for. CBC. I mean, that's what immediately when I saw it, I like scrolled to the date to be like, "Is this what is this?" And then it was today's date, and I kept like looking at the thing, and it wasn't until like I said, like the third paragraph that they finally explained that this was not something that had happened now. It was like an explanation of something that had happened to him years ago. Hmm. Oh, but was this a like, car accident or was this some no, other thing? No, it, it was um, – he had ended up in the hospital. Another cocaine overdose? <laughs> oh, brutal. No, um, <laughs> it was – he had contracted a virus because that's the other thing that was in that, the headline. Um, he had contracted a virus – and spent 25 days in the hospital. Hold on. And then he, uh, then he wrote um, The Stand. Stephen King Health. Author, 74, spent 75 days in hospital after contracting virus. That's the headline! Oh, dang. And, I, you know, I don't actually know off the top of my head how old Stephen King is. So if you said he was 74, I'd probably believe you. But why would they post this now? Like, when we're in the midst of a pandemic that is a respiratory and he's like in the danger zone age wise <laughs> i really thought i was reading his obit for a minute and my stomach was just like oh no thank you so anyways that was my little panic before the podcast today wow all right on to happier news where did we leave off <laughs> okay so uh the gang went toe dash um we have some warnings about if they hear the chimes they should stick together that came from the robot and lo and behold uh Susanna has legs um, those are the key factors to run into this section. See what run, I did there? Run. run. <laughs> you know you ain't right for that. Uh, so camera pans down to Jake excitedly running towards where he knows the rose to be located with, uh, you know, Eddie and Roland carrying Susanna behind, kind of like screaming for him to wait. They can all sort of feel the throbbing power of this hideous flower pulling them towards them. And Not the throbbing they, power. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so the whole gang is sort of like drawn towards that. Um, they're carrying Susanna because her feet newly attached are um, susceptible to like the broken glass and so on of the area. They zoom up and they get there. And they look at it and realize that the outside of this lot is different. Uh, originally, it was a poem about the turtle. 
But when they get there, they realize that the poem has changed, and now it's a poem about someone that sounds similar to Susanna, who, Mm -hmm. what was it, left her rig at the Dixie Pig or something like that? Oh, Susanna Mio, divided girl of mine, done parked her rig at the Dixie Pig in the year of 99. And this seems important, like... Um, mm. that, that little limerick right there seems to carry a lot of weight. And if you've been through this, uh, series before, you may recognize, uh, the Dixie pig. Um, and that's as far as we can go, right? Yes. I think we also can rely on the fact that historically anything that you see in this area has that thing of feeling relevant in the moment and hiding sort of clues about future events. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that this is an exception to that rule without getting into spoiler territory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so just, you know, keep Park Dixie Pig in the back of your mind and we'll uh, we'll get back to it with our, mm-hmm. our big rig someday in the future. Yes, uh, we will. So uh, they're, they're kind of like at the gate of this place and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they need to go, they want to go in, but uh, Susanna's barefoot. This lot is covered with like nails and stuff and glass. And it's even worse than the city, the streets that they're wandering around in. So, uh, you know, logically she's like, well, you know, I can't go in because I'm barefoot. And like, while that's a very true statement and kind of reflects the situation of them carrying her around, it also sort of feels like a cop out to Roland who suspects that like, her going into this lot could take care of two problems at once. The uh, split yeah. personality of Susanna and the possibly dangerous thing growing inside of her. Um, and then like I mean, Roland's... That's, it's cold, but I mean, yeah. it kind of seems like an elegant solution to a growing problem. Yeah, and then like <laughs> Roland sort of has a flash to like his friends from beyond or back in the day. And it's like, no, uh, this isn't the time or the place, Roland. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so- Elaine's voice, which is interesting. I was trying to kind of work my way through why would he prevent him from why would that be the voice that tells him not to do it seems like it would resolve some pretty intense issues but i don't know i assume because he's the one with the stronger touch and they're close to the rose and here in a minute we start to get this sort of like psychic resonance yeah um so it would kind of make sense in that manner Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but regardless so she decides to stay and then there's this moment where jake is like i'll stay with her but he says it with like the most disappointing but most like this is my duty my job uh sense and tone that he could come up with and roland like we we get some more like how the group is doing at this moment where roland is like almost heartfelt and like feeling like it's a sense of duty as opposed to like you know um uh, de- dejection that Jake mm-hmm. is taking on to to do this task, and Roland's like, "No, Oi will stay with her." <laughs> and, and like, you can see that Jake's relieved, but like, Roland like has pride in him that this kid has grown so much that he was willing to like almost be the adult in the room to like stay with Susanna while mm-hmm. the other people got to do this thing that he really, really wants to do. And now mm-hmm. I've already jumped quite a bit That's further. Okay. Um, So I want to back up for a second and let you touch on the finer details of this conversation. Yeah. I I mean, there's a couple of little things that stood out to me in these early sections, which is 
you know, the impact and the way that the experience of being near the Rose manifests itself for each of these characters is really interesting. Like, first of all, when they first hear that hum and start feeling that pull, it makes them kind of uncharacteristically giddy like and you see it in the way that they scoop up Susanna and go running towards the lot it just is so out of the usual sort of yeah this is like off to see the wizard excitement here yes exactly and when they're running across the street and and uh Roland is like uh commanding the yeah. <laughs> he yells at a car stop yes and it does oh. <laughs> and the car like the pile crashes <laughs> yeah but they just keep running because nothing else matters in when they're in proximity of your favorite flower the rose and so i think that was and the beginning of kind of what follows here of these this the really intense kind of psychological and emotional response that they have to this rose. And on one hand, you know, some of the things that are happening here are really positive and affirming, especially when we get in a little bit later into the, some of the things that Roland experiences. Mm-hmm. But there's also something almost sinister about the degree of seductiveness of this rose. I know we want to, I know that as readers were meant to kind of, interpret this as a good thing because like the rose represents all that is good and the white and all that stuff. But like, if you just read what this thing says, it is really creepy. So I pulled this quote. It says, here is yes. The voices said here is you may here is the good turn, the fortunate meeting, the fever that just broke before dawn and left your blood calm. Here is the wish that came true. The understanding eye here is the kindness you were given and thus learned to pass on. Here is the sanity and the clarity you thought were lost. Here is everything is all right. And if that is a sincere statement, then I mean, that's great. But it totally sounds like cultish to me. You think so? I mean, if yeah, uh, yes, like this idea of here, everything is right. Here are all of the answers. Like it's like this combination of love bombing and promises that just feels culty <laughs> to me. Well, I mean, okay, so um, as part as part of the vision of that statement, there's also like examples uh, to to kind of hit home what that feeling is. And it's like, you know, here's Albert Einstein and like this moment where he almost got hit by something but like just missed it. And I think what he's trying to say in that is not cultish but actually like um, this is this is good luck. <laughs> this yes. thing is like um, – this is the opposite of that Alanis Morissette song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't this unironic? Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think your your interpretation is correct, but I, there was something about it that it was like, it just kind of struck a chord in me that it just felt so incredibly manipulative, especially mm. if we believe Ka has its own sort of amoral agenda. And this thing is, you know, not unlinked with Ka. That this, if it wanted Roland to do its bidding and to protect it, this would be a very good way to manipulate. I don't know. It just struck me as like a little bit creepy. I don't think that, I think that's my interpretation as opposed to what is actually happening in the book. But I'm just showing with you what I was thinking while I I was reading it. I think, no. uh, So from that perspective, if you took the rose as like a god figure, Mm -hmm. um, like what is what does a god want it wants you to do something right yeah and so if the rose in this case was to be considered like the godhead of whatever 
is going on in this universe, mm-hmm. multi-universe world or whatever, it still wants them to do something. Right. And how do you want some or get somebody to do the thing that you want? You like provide some sort of feedback that is positive or negative to them in order yeah. to, uh, um, I don't know if manipulates the term, but direct them. Yeah. And yeah. like, so if you take it from a, a purely Godhead perspective, like that gives you mm-hmm. a context for your cultish description, because yeah. that's what applies to any sort of like religious God worship mm-hmm. or God following type of structure. So yeah, what you're saying is, is legit. It's just, uh, I didn't get that impression at first until we started talking about, yeah. you know, gods and so on. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like I said, again, this is my interpretation as opposed to, I don't even know that you're meant to feel that way. I I think you're meant to feel the same sort of feelings that Roland is feeling and like feel seduced by this a little bit and and bought into it. But it just, I don't know. I've also been reading a lot of stuff about like um, narcissism, (laughs) cults, emotional manipulation, gaslighting, all that kind of stuff. So like this to me, I was just like, oh my God, they're getting love bombed by this flower (laughs) and it wants something. If if, if something love bombs you, it's because it wants something. So it just really, it just struck a chord with me for some reason. Love bombs. I'll have to. Have you never heard of love bombing? I don't think I've heard the term love bombing. Love bombing is when someone, when like a, someone who is ultimately typically going to become a an abuser what they do is they begin by just pouring on the love when you first meet them like compliments and telling you how amazing you are and doing all of just like overwhelming you with positivity and they get you kind of hooked on that kind of adoration and that kind of treatment mm-hmm. so then when they withdraw it they can use it as a manipulation tool Ooh, dark. All right. Anyways, the other thing that I think is important here is we have this moment where Mia says that it's almost the loveliest thing. Yes. And strokes her belly. We obviously know what this means, but I it, it it's a moment that kind of breaks through for Eddie. Not completely, but in their sort of context where these people are so all in on the tower and the rose and all that, for someone to just say, like, it's almost the most amazing thing I've seen immediately raises suspicion because they should be she should be just as bought into it as they are not enough to like pull them out of the spell of what's happening in there Mm -hmm. but it is like such an obvious red flag and i think it just goes to remind you as a reader like exactly how impactful what is happening it with the rose is to them and how obsessed they are with it yeah that's definitely like um a very solid point and like knowing that the that roland had thought about the the rose possibly killing her unborn child and like ridding them of the split personality like Mm -hmm. those two statements together like show that both sides are correct like this is this is dangerous to her because it's too good yeah the other thing is eddie he does seem to know something is off here, but he doesn't say anything. And Roland is relieved. And so there's two moments here where like they could be addressing with whatever's happening with Susanna mm-hmm. and Roland, like, well, Roland has opportunities, right? Like he could push the issue and force her to go into the lot and maybe it would resolve itself. Or he could push Eddie in this direction to have this conversation. But for whatever reason, he's decided this is not the right time for this. And I don't know if it comes from his own desire to just see the rose or if there's like he actually has some kind of idea about the timing. It's unclear. 
It's un- I mean, Roland loves to play things close to his vest, but and it drives me a little crazy. <laughs> so, and then oh, last ahead. thing about the section, and then we can move forward, is that Susanna stays behind, like you said, with with um, with Oi. And it just, to me, this is like a, a sign of sort of their, it's symbolic of the separation that is growing between inside the Kotat, that she's not only like physically separating from them, but she's also not joining in this moment that they're about to experience, which we'll get into in the coming section, that is so incredibly profound. There is like a bond that is formed and an exper- a shared experience that is had that Susanna is not about to take part in. Yeah, and there's also one more thing um, that I I need to make sure I mention. I mentioned that Roland was proud of Jake for the way he handles that situation. Mm-hmm. But there's also another moment where uh, he Roland helps Jake over the fence. Mm-hmm. And he goes to return the same favor to Eddie, and Eddie is already vaulted over the fence. Mm-hmm. And Roland reflects for a moment on how much this former, you know, drug addict – who is addled and like out of shape has changed and grown as a person and as a whole since Mm -hmm. their beginning meeting till now to the point where like, and I don't know if this is just the Rose reflecting on Roland or Roland just taking a moment to appreciate the gang, but Mm -hmm. there's no moment for Susanna where Roland recognizes any growth or change. Even Oi gets a little bit of like a responsibility being the one to be kept with Susanna, but like, Um, Susanna does not. And right. so that that's a really interesting moment for Roland is like he's adulting on everybody but her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And I think it speaks to that same thing I'm talking about, like this growing separation. Exactly. Group that yep. only Roland is like actively aware of. We, we cut back to Susanna's perspective and she like looks up and she sees like a, a lady walking by her eyes are a bit dark and then she realizes that her mouth's a bit oh, strangely agape and that there's actually a worm crawling in and out of yeah. her mouth um this is uh sort of shocking to her and like it's also pivotal because uh, oi growls and notices this as well mm-hmm. um and there was one other tiny factor that was mentioned by Susanna that when they were jumping over the before they jumped over the fence she mentioned that they are basically invisible to the folks around them mm-hmm. but Roland was able to stop a car and yeah. with that same note in mind this ghostly lady that's uh walking across the street uh people are just naturally uh, flowing around her and avoiding her in space um physically Mm -hmm. even though she technically isn't seen by them but it's sort of like she's experienced by them in an unconscious manner and that kind of points to the same relationship to their toe dash that they're they're in right now Mm. actually i need to go back to your your conspiracy theory at the beginning of the episode which one the what (laughs) the (laughs) one about the why incision Oh, okay, yeah. Let, let's let's talk why, about why if she why if is you, that so? Why why does she have worms coming out of her mouth? Exactly, that's another. Um, Which makes me think that the logic about this is it's about like your spirit or whatever. As a as we're going to come to find out, the vagrant dead must reflect the state of your body. Uh, yeah, because maybe the girl's head still smushed. Mm-hmm. She's she's decaying with and with worms coming out of her, and then there's the Y incision. 
I assumed with the worm that, um, you know, she maybe killed the worm when she died. (laughs) Oh, so you think that she like maybe died of a parasite? Yeah, I was I was thinking like maybe she, you know, had a worm or something or like was drinking tequila or something like that at the time. I mean, that one I was going to actually, like, sort of let slide because, like, oh. the why and so. I feel like this is the this is actually the, the key of explanation that your body must reflect whatever. Well, then, your- okay, if that's the case, then where's the worms on the, you know, on the autopsy guy? Maybe and, he's like, fresh. And the, the flies on the girl who's been, you know, smashed and has the little, like, a cute um, outfit on with bulging eyeballs. You know, I don't know. Maybe they're still freshies. Maybe he maybe she maybe the lady's like dead and rotting in a ditch where he actually got embalmed. So I think with the bugs, you might be able to subscribe to or subscribe to like the frighteners theory of of death where like hmm. they have like an ectoplasm that's gooey and attracts, you know, uh, bugs and insects. Mm-hmm. Um, but that theory wouldn't spell out a, a decent outcome for the like incisions made post-mortem and then reflecting your body yeah maybe but like wouldn't they have been you know like okay so this lady is dead and she's in the ground well they would have embalmed her right and put her in a coffin or That's like i said she's a ditch dead okay ditch dead okay then what about <laughs> the kid the kid gets run over like yeah they're probably still gonna do like uh uh burial right so they probably like would have dressed her up and like you know, uh, filled her up with some cardboard and taxidermied her. I mean, to... if she's a closed casket. Oh, that's mm, true. Mm. You know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know all the answers. I'm just saying, if you're struggling with the Y incision, this may be how that all works. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Folks at home, if you have some way in, <laughs> yeah, theories on this, I am open to input because I, I don't know. It just seems weird that like, that's how you're going to die. Like, I don't want my body's state of decay to be like reflected on my, on my ghost, because at some <laughs> point there won't be anything left but bones and I won't be able to walk around anymore. Right. Isn't that like a cocoa thing? Or I guess that's if your family forgets you. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a Spanish, uh, Spanish funeral thing. Like you got to remember your, your relatives on De Los Mortis or something. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, sorry, all right. Oh, no, no problem, okay. So uh, then we cut back over to the other side of the fence, and the guys are wandering towards this rose. Um, There's one really strong note at the beginning here when they jump into the field that there's something laying on the ground next to the rose where Mm -hmm. Jake originally found the key, and Stephen King drops this pretty solidly, but then, like, just breezes past it like nothing Mm -hmm. and moves on to the description of this. And the rose is sort of, like, closed against the darkness in a a tight embrace. But as these guys approach, it sort of blossoms and opens up for them. And as it opens, Eddie starts to experience, you know, almost like – your your life's timeline comes across you and his brother is there and telling him like remember what i said behind that you know convenience store about you being able to talk the devil out of whatever like mm-hmm. i meant it i may have been hard on you but i was always proud of you eddie and like it isn't this is the first time where we've had an interaction with like the ghost of eddie dean's brother not being a net negative 
emotional impact on him. And instead, like he's taken back and like feels pride and happiness with this moment. And then, you know, Roland sort of experiences like all of the battles and friends and so on that he's experienced through his previous uh, years of life. And we get these like flashes of what the rose means to the world. And this is what I was alluding to earlier about Mm -hmm. um, things that could have gone poorly, but did not by the sheer influence of this positive feature on the world. And we have everything from people showing up at the right time to form societies that end up forming great nations to uh, ingenious and genius folks that were so close to slipping on a bar of soap and, and dying, but missed it by a mark, you know, and, and these are the like sort of uh, luck of the draw caw things that Roland has always sort of used caw to describe. And this rose seems to be leaning on the scale of positive outcomes as opposed to negative outcomes for the world as a whole. And there's a lot of little tiny references in there, Rachel. I only mm-hmm. see two stars on here. Do you have anything specific you want to like um, dive in deep on? Uh, there's a couple of things here we probably should touch on. As they're walking through the lot, they have mm-hmm. these moments where they see their own paths. And, and Eddie has this moment where he sees Henry and Henry kind of says all the things he ever really wanted to hear him say. Mm-hmm. And... You know, again, I'm like, mm, this is manipulation. But I also think <laughs> if we if we go ahead and just trust the truth of what the Rose is saying, it is kind of this moment that is incredibly affirming for Eddie and maybe reveals the true feelings that Henry had for him and gives him the kind of healing and closure that he needs. And something similar happens for Roland, right? You know, on one hand, he has this incredible spiritual moment where he thinks like, oh my God, I see the rose and I understand it. And now I know that everything I've been through has been worth it. And and like I said, on one hand, I think that's wonderful because he's such a tragic figure. He's experienced so much loss. You know, uh, parts of him have just died as a result of, of all the pain and suffering and the things that he's had to do in the name of trying to find this dark tower for hundred or hundreds of years or however long it's been. And I think he really needed this moment. And I think he really earned this moment of catharsis. But on the other hand, there is kind of a dark edge to this because if there was ever any part of him that in this recent events of having these bonds form and this love form between him and these other people that might have held him back from doing everything he needed to do in order to get to the tower, including throwing loved ones under the bus, killing people, whatever the case may be, any part of him that may have developed is gone, right? After after seeing this, he is like fully bought in. He is absolutely converted again. And he says specifically the phrase, this is worth everything, which on one hand, great. It's, it's validated the things he's had to do and, and it gives him emotional catharsis. On the other hand, all doubt has been erased. He is locked in. And if that's true, if that's really what he believes, that this is worth anything, that means no line is uncrossable when it comes to completing his quest to the tower. So there's two things I want to circle back around to while we're talking about this Rose scene. 
Uh, first of all, Jake is one of the only ones that doesn't really get a flashback sequence of mm-hmm. like love and interest and so on. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that because this we know isn't the OG Jake. This is like Jake 2.0, right? Yeah. In this particular timeline. So do you think maybe that's why he doesn't get any like natural good flashback feels is because of that? Or is it because I think we just don't get in his head. Okay. You know? I think probably and maybe it'll, he'll talk about it later. I don't know. I think he they all probably had similar experiences. Okay. The only um, thing I got from him was that moment where his like nanny called him something. <laughs> I mean, maybe also he has a lot, a lot less life experience. Who would oh, be there? Oh, fair. Okay, yeah. So like, Who, because he's what, so young, what dead person would be there for him? No, okay. know? like he has all kinds of weird trauma about his parents. But as far as we know, Elmer and Mama Jake are still alive. No, I think you're right. I think that Nix is my 2.0 theory, and it's more actually that it's just a young person has less timeline to reflect upon. I think you're actually that's that makes more sense than my 2.0 theory. Um, okay, so the other thing I wanted to circle back on was a couple of the uh, bad guys that were revealed in the uh, in the rows. One of them specifically was a guy who was about to poison the water for the city of Denver, and then has a heart attack with his McDonald's sandwich yeah, sitting next to him. Uh, yeah, I is this a Stephen King reference that I should know about somewhere? I tried to look and I couldn't find that or the thing with the monster that's just an eyeball. Yeah, that like, one. And then there's also the guy that was about to like bomb a place in Israel, and then like looks up and realizes that the sky is above the just and unjust alike, and walks away. Yeah. I couldn't find anything about it, but if somebody else, I don't know how comprehensive these, when I go and research, like the resources I have actually are. I mean, sometimes I remember things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's from research. I, it felt very Stephen King. I was like, this feels like it could be a connection, but my research didn't like yield anything. So if other people who maybe recently read these things do know what these are references to, please, please slide into the DMs. Okay, yeah, I just those seemed so well spelled out that I thought they had to be like really broad clues to to link us to something else, and I, I didn't know what the mm-hmm. heck they were. So, oh, I mean, they're well. perfect Easter egg moments, but I couldn't find anything. Okay, well then I, I think that answers that. Um, you've uh, debunked my uh, Jake two point theory. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. <laughs> I, like sometimes I come to the table and I. Th- I think I've got something really good. And by the time we discuss it, I'm like, nah, that wasn't very good at all. And sometimes I'm like, Hey, let me lay this nugget of truth on you, Rachel. And you're like, Whoa, yeah, this, was, <laughs> this one was uh, the the first, not the second. So hey, you'll get me with another one in no time. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is there's, um, there's a few rando things that have changed in this lot besides the, where the key was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this sort of, it, it paints a different picture, and I wanted to know if you thought there was any significance to the change in phone number and the change in signage and so on. So I was trying to figure that out. So the thing that changed is the phone number, and I went and looked at the original one. Okay, so the phone number in the original sign was 555-6712, mm-hmm. and in this one, it's 661-6712. 
So it's just that prefix that changes, but it doesn't like add up to 19 or something. Okay. So, <laughs> That's what I was thinking it did. Yeah. <laughs> do the I, I, I mean, I looked, I pulled up the old book and looked because I was like, oh, I'm going to crack this code. But maybe it's just meant to, as a reminder, be that this is not exactly the same timeline that he was in before because it's such a small, subtle change. But the fact that he recognized it makes me feel like there's more to it. So I don't freaking know. Man. Well, I couldn't figure it out. So there might be another another uh, clue to this too um Ooh, okay. i know and i don't know if this is uh fact or fiction this is just uh me hypothesizing but there's been a number of times in like new york and in los angeles and in denver and in chicago where the number of people in the dense area code settings has reached a point where they had to split or change area codes and mm-hmm. like section off groups of people into one area code or the new area code um, if you guys or anybody out there is familiar with New York, if these numbers match up with some kind of area code split that happened in the past, uh, let us know because that seems like another possibility to represent the time frame that they're mm-hmm. in versus uh the previous time they toe dashed. Uh, because um, if that particular like split happened, I don't know, nineteen seventy seven exactly or some other date, that would be a really interesting way for Stephen King to subtly hint at the change in time based Hmm. on the location that they're in i'm sure there's probably some deep meaning to it but i couldn't find it you gotta like (laughs) turn them all into letters and then like add up the letters on an alphabetical calculator and then subtract let me get my my code breaking abacus real quick i'll figure it out all right so we cut back to uh susanna and she is on the other side of the fence yes she is like Lost a few minutes. She's staring at the clock and like she's looking at this newfangled clock and and suddenly uh, the clock changes and she realizes that her perspective on the world is also changed. And this is confusing but familiar to her for a minute. And what happens is she realizes that she lost seven minutes of of time on the clock Mm -hmm. and is fearful that the world is jumping. And then (laughs) – realizes that she's also lost her legs and and this is the first moment where we get true perspective from Susanna on her condition and the line Stephen King uses is like someone who thought that their cancer had been cured only to find out that it has come back again Mm -hmm. and this moment where she loses her legs makes her realize that there is another Detta Odetta situation going on here and she is truly frightened of that moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. and there's a moment later where when roland is like and analyzing the situation he's like uh what probably happened is uh you know uh your your mind twin jumped out like punxsutawney phil from groundhog's day and like Uh. popped his head up and looked around for a little bit and then like dove back in (laughs) and it's it's like that's kind of a, a fun but also uh weird way to think about this like dual personality thing that she's got going on or Mm -hmm. try personality i I guess Mm -hmm. back to dual because like odetta and susanna have like become one as a person but this new one is like a separate entity altogether um and then we also get some more looks into uh the dead people wandering around as she has shrunk um we also see that there is like 
a girl that looks like she got ran over by a car in like mm, a. This one's the guy. I think. Oh, is this the guy with the Y cut through? Yeah. Him? Nope. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, yeah. So she sees the Y incision guy, and that's when she like can't take it anymore. It's like Eddie. Yeah, and so she screams. Camera cuts. They move back to the other side of the fence. Just that my heart breaks for Susanna. This is this is rough, dude. For her to, you know, ha- be on this high experience of of having her legs back and she's dancing around and having a great time. We know it's sinister, but from her perspective, it's not. And then for her to realize, at first to try to rationalize away the fact that her her legs are gone and the time has changed, but to kind of come to this conclusion that she can't deny it anymore. That would be so heartbreaking to know that your mind is not your own anymore after you thought you had been freed from it. I just, my heart went out to her in this section. Yeah. And I mean, in the past, she's been able to like fool herself. Like I'm just not Mm -hmm. getting good sleep or my back sore, but there's none of that now. Like now Mm -hmm. she no knows. Yeah. No knows. No knows. All right. Back to the lot. All right. So we come back to the lot and they're staring into the rose, uh, enamored with this, um, you know, uh, otherwise tacky flower, and they they, uh, they start to realize that there's like a weird dissonant hum in the angel sings that are coming from this flower. The, the rose itself is actually a little sick, and there's a moment too where Roland is like, all of a sudden he has an epiphany, and he's like, "There's two hubs of existence. There's two hubs of existence." <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, okay, what the hell does this mean? And like Roland kind of codifies that with the tower and the rose and that there's an interconnect between these two and the weakening of one is damaging the other. And Roland like sort of shouts out like, we must own this. We must own this and protect it. Mm-hmm. And like everybody's like, yeah, you're here. And then like they hear, you know, Susanna screaming from the other side. They go running back, but before they run back, Jake reaches for that little spot that Stephen King pointed her eyes at momentarily next to the rose, grabs something, and then they all jump over. Eddie kind of lands awkwardly on the other side. Roland sort of is knowingly looking at the situation with her and her loss of legs. And uh-huh. and like has like a moment where he actually has to scold her. Because she's like, I don't know what happened. He's like, don't you, though? And, and, and like, he's like, if time were jumping, we would have all felt it. But it was only jumping for you, you know? Yeah. And, and so this is, like, the moment of truth. And Roland, like, emphasizes this and underlines it by saying, like, you know, we are cotet. And so it's like, there's nothing you can really hide from us, Susanna. Like, what is it? And... And she kind of sort of explains ish. Yeah. Um, enough so that Roland like knows that Eddie can sense it and is looking mm-hmm. for like a little bit of confirmation. Um, I mean, I feel like Eddie is in denial here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't mm-hmm. actually come out and say like, oh, there's two of me now. But like she definitely says like she lost time. Um, this might be a, you know, Odetta situation. Roland knows that it's more, and she mentions that she was scared, but like Roland already knew that it wasn't her he was talking to when they jumped over the fence to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the loss of legs and toe dash kind of points to that. Um, we also get this thing that is pretty important, and that is that like you don't talk to dead people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we find out about the the um wandering or no, the vagrant dead. 
the vagrant dad. Yep. And this is like uh, another reference back to uh, school uh, as a mm-hmm. gunslinger. Apparently, yeah. like when you're taking Todash class, you also take vagrant dead class. Apparently. And, <laughs> and then there's another thing that's actually super important to that. And the reason I'm circling around this is Roland mentions uh, the end of Gilead. Mm-hmm. and the, the uh, vagrant dead, but they weren't around for long, and then kind of just trails off. Like, what is the significance of that? Is that the world ending as he knows mm-hmm. it, and the vagrant dead just disappearing from that ended world? Or did you get um, any significance from that I at all? I think he's more saying that they're rare, which I think is interesting. Okay. Because if they're so rare, how are there three of them right, right here on here. this block? Yeah, and I didn't what even mention the squished say? girl. Yeah, so that's when Jake gets there, he sees the swi- squished girl. So if they're rare and there's three here, is that because proximity to the rose? Are they being attracted to the people who have gone Todash? What is that about? Is it a sign? If the world is now so full of these once rare vagrant dead, is it a reflection of the world as it is or the world as it like the fact that it's breaking down, Mm -hmm. that there's more of these vagrant dead that haven't passed on? I don't know. I just think it's odd that the one detail we get about them is their rarity. Yeah. And and, uh, I don't know. I thought maybe there might be some significance to Gilead and like, because we we talked about like in their current state, not Todash, but in where they're at now is like their one direction is the end of the world. Yeah. And so like I just wondered if maybe the ghosts disappear at the end of the world. He just said, OK, uh, the vagrant dead Roland replied. I heard them heard of them from Elaine John's father. It must have been not long after we returned to mages. For after that, there wasn't much more time before everything dot dot dot. Yep, exactly. What, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that I just found that kind of interesting and intriguing. Mm-hmm. And then he like cuts away from it. And it's like, I don't know, Stephen King. I want, tell me more about the vagrant dead. Be- I want to know. Dot, 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 what? <laughs> I mean, I feel like they're setting something up. I don't think we've seen the last of the vagrant dead. Yeah, I think you're correct. Um, right. Conceptually, they're pretty cool. So I hope that's not the last of them. <laughs> like just, we'll find out what they're attracted to maybe we're gonna go back and it's gonna be like tons of vagrant dead like pressed up against the fence or maybe they're gonna be lying and wait for roland in the gang i don't know yeah for yeah. whatever reason whenever we start talking about ghosts i remember this moment in my life where i just seen um that bruce willis film uh six cents six six cents and like I thought everybody had seen it and I, like they're talking about it. i walk into the room i'm like can't believe he was dead at the end <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, no. Everybody's like, fuck, you just ruined it. Oh, man. And then lastly, there's that moment where Roland kind of pushes Susanna to explain what's going on mm-hmm. slightly. And immediately we see Eddie get super defensive mm-hmm. and be like, what are you trying to say? Which <laughs> really reinforces the thing that Roland is worried about, right? That if he, that there's going to be this really tough interpersonal situation between them if he were to confront Mia, or sorry, Susanna, about having multiple personalities. And we see that, I don't know if it's because deep down he knows what's going on. Not only does he immediately push back, but Eddie also goes right into rationalizing it. It doesn't even occur to him, at least uh consciously that what she's describing is not time slippage but time loss he automatically assumes it just means that time's moving faster than they thought it was yeah 
Oh, and the way they describe Mia coming forward and poking her head out around to look around is just creepy. <laughs> and one other random ass fact, apparently Puxatawney Phil is a thing in Midworld because Roland Ray made the reference. Well, I kind of wonder, um, is so I don't know much about Groundhog lore. Like the only real <laughs> stuff I know is like the news article and then like I watched the movie Groundhog's Day once. Right, right, right. That's um, a great movie. So uh-huh. is the is the creature actually called Punxsutawney Phil? Is that his real name? Or That's is his it... name. So okay. Punxsutawney Phil, there has been many generations of Punxsutawney Phil. He is a groundhog that they ceremonially bring out to mm-hmm. see if he's going to do this thing and then it tells you something about the, it predicts the weather. Yeah, I know but all why that. Why would Roland know that? <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure it was still called Puxitani Phil. Yes, I, I, that is his name. I wasn't sure if that was just a movie joke or if that was like a legit name. And now I kind of want to know where Punxsutawney is. That's yeah, I mean, where is Punxsutawney? I mean, I assume it's upstate New York? Question that would mark? be my guess. Oh, no, Pennsylvania. But that means same difference. It's all that part of the world. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I understand they're different states. It was just a joke. But yeah, Punxsutawney Phil is the world's famous groundhog from this Pennsylvania town. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. I I was actually so focused on, is that the real groundhog's name? Or hedgehog (laughs) or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Groundhog. Groundhog. And and then, like, I completely forgot to think about, like, wait. Why would he know that? Why would he know that? (laughs) I'm guessing it must just be a thing that, you know how like they have Hey Jude and they have other weird things. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a mid-world Punxsutawney Phil. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, So about this time that that we're getting the mild reveal of uh, what's going on with Susan and her legs, uh, the chimes start to roll in. Oh yeah. And when the chimes roll in, uh, Roland knows like, this is dangerous, so you guys need to hold on tight. Grab Oi, reach deep down into his fur. I don't care if it hurts him. Uh, we all got to get together. And as the chimes roll, New York disappears, and they are back in Midworld again. Or yep. wherever world. I guess we're not. I guess it's in world. In world now, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the worlds that is uh, not New York. Yeah. Um, we also find out that they, when they went Todash, they also moved a small distance. Yeah. So they're like 30 or 40 feet or so something like that. it's like, like VR, that. like you have to walk around. To move. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it doesn't feel like it's quite proportional to the travel no. that they did in New York. It's like yeah. um, not a one-to-one ratio. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder if that'll have any impact on like where they have to be to toe dash in the future. Mm, um, interesting. There's also a mention of black 13 that we kind of skated around and didn't talk about. Yeah. Like and you're wondering if, if black, if they'll be able to like pick where they can go with black 13. Yep. And then there's another mention of uh, Susanna's money and using that mm-hmm. to buy the land. Um, yeah. So those those are all the main things to take away. Uh, otherwise, they show back up and like they're they're there. Um, and then the last thing is we finally figure out what the heck Jake grabbed out of the parking yeah. lot, and mm-hmm. uh, it turns out it's a bag of some kind of extraordinary fiber. Um, instead of saying something about the bowling. Midtown bowling. Uh, Midtown bowling. Midtown lanes. Is it Midtown lanes? Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, Instead of saying Midtown lanes, it says like Midworld lanes or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially the same bag minus the the name change. And, yeah. and this Which is kind of actually a reference to something that happens in the wastelands. There's a part where he during Jake's original journey to the the lot he mm-hmm. gets stopped. Remember, he gets stopped by the police officer. Yep, and he tells him he's gonna, he's going bowling. Well, he tells him, "I don't have my ID. I just have my my membership card too." And he's trying to say Midtown Lanes, but he says Midworld Lanes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I remember there is something about him being a good bowler back in one yep. of the previous books. Yep. Um, and then the other thing to note is like. We're talking about a round crystal. Mm, I mean, yeah, I was like, and, I know what's going in there. And now we got a, a a bowling ball bag that's empty. I mean, come on, Stephen King. Yeah, you, I mean, you painted that one a little too broadly, guy. <laughs> the other thing that happens is we find out that everybody goes to sleep except for at one point Mia gets up and eats. So I guess the takeaway is there's nothing good to eat in New York, according to Mia. there's one last thing um and this is not super important but it's kind of interesting uh when they do see the dead person the the dead person uh towards the end of this section um they note that their guns do not travel with them yeah that's uh, i think very important because i mean granted what they're doing now is like further away from black 13 but if they get it they may have more control about what can and can't go through Todash, but if this this like rule stands, it means whatever they do in New York, they're going to show up unarmed. That's yeah, a really and, good point. And uh, I find that one also like a little bit logically um, dubious because why do they have pants on? Yeah, exactly. Thank <laughs> you. Like, oh, everybody got their shoes. Someone got an extra set of legs, but your your and your belt buckle made it, but your. <laughs> Your gun did not like, come on. I mean, maybe that's what he means about black 13 behaving like doing things, doing mischief. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it selects what can and can't go. And it's like no guns for you. Well, and then that also like works the opposite direction. Like we, we are told that they can't be seen in the world that they're in. So then how is Jake able to like grab his bowling ball bag and like zoop back over to regular land? And and then there's even a moment where Roland is like, I don't know what will happen if you break your leg in Todash, but I don't want to find out. Yeah, I think th- I think maybe the rules of reality and matter and all those things are super loosey-goosey in Todash. <laughs> so, like, shit, some stuff just does and some stuff doesn't. And, like, n- like, in terms of, like, a narrative device, he can pretty much say whatever he wants because they're traveling traveling magically so who's to say how it works right it can work however it's a little bit of a cheat but like maybe they're just the logic is whatever the narrative requires because magic travel time <laughs> yeah all right so what do you think of this chapter uh, overall uh, pretty good um there's a lot of little insights in here um you know not as action packed as some of the ones i have loved in the past but it was okay. It was good. Um, again, uh, sorry, folks. I'm not a fan of the flower or the rose. I think they're tacky. So uh, uh, there's always that. What about you, Rachel? Uh, yeah, I really like this. I I think it's it was a really interesting cha- 
you know, there's been a lot of great chapters that are about sort of the psychological stuff that's happening between and the interpersonal stuff that's happening between. I love all of that. This one had a lot of lore and a lot of magic and and elements of horror, which is the other stuff that I really love that Stephen King does. Again, I still feel like it's a building chapter, but I do think we're getting you can start to see some of the groundwork that's being laid in terms of especially around the um, multiverse heist that's coming up like we stepped away (laughs) from the a plot and this one really sort of dwells in the b plot so in terms of like balancing those two things i think king is doing a really good job with this one every time i'm like no get back to the other story because i'm interested in both so i think that that that's a good sign so yeah i enjoyed it i like this chapter i liked all the the vagrant dead i love all that weird world building that he does so i i had a good time feel bad for susanna though it's a rough one for suze the vagrant dead the vagrant i mean that's how that should be a band name that's like an <laughs> awesome like metal band the vagrant dead i bet there probably is one called the vagrant dead and all the cool people in the audience are like rachel you're so lame everybody knows the vagrant dead okay cool so plans for the next episode we are going to be covering uh part two telling telling tales chapter one sections one through seven it's another long chapter, so we're going to break it up into two episodes. You got to remember to pay attention to that, too. So I don't <laughs> see, like, like, try to the whole thing. No comments. <laughs> uh, I didn't catch any Stephen King universe connections that we haven't already talked about, but if uh, especially if people do know what those references were that we talked about earlier, I would love to know. I don't have any Stephen King news. Um, I was so traumatized by that what I thought was obituary. I didn't totally spend as much time researching, but I don't think there's any dark tower news. So I feel like we're good there. Uh, We didn't get any listener mail this episode, but we did put a question on the Facebook. So last time, as you recall, it, we finally kind of got some details of what all went down at Jericho Hill. And I was distraught because I love Cuthbert so much. So hearing of his death was rough stuff. So it made me think about like other things that I've watched or read where a character died and I'm still just like not over it. And I wanted to know from you guys, which of those character deaths hit you the hardest? Obviously, there will be spoilers for things in this section. (laughs) If you are super spoiler adverse, get out of here. Go check out the next chapter. We will get into it in two weeks otherwise if you want to stick around for the discussion because there are some real heartbreakers in here yeah then that's what we're gonna do and i feel like i've given you plenty of time to find your phone and hit pause okay so oh man 19 responses that's uh, people have a lot of feelings dude (laughs) (laughs) um okay do you want to go first or do you want to hear everybody else's first oh mine's a little hokey but um, if if you've listened to the Splattercast for a long time, you've probably heard me mention this movie more than once. Um, oh, so, let me see. I'm trying to guess. Okay, movies that you talked about many times. Let's see. Nell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Beetlejuice. Okay. Um, what are other ones that you talk about a lot? Tragic ending. Tragic. Okay, I can't guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so. There is a movie from, I think, like, 96 or 98 called Powder, where the guy oh! gets, like, shot by lightning at the end as he's running away and, like, dissipates into pure energy. I always <laughs> thought that was, like, like, oh, man, that's so sad. Like, he had his whole life ahead of him, but he had to, like, run into energy. 
<laughs> lightning. <laughs> and to this day, like when I go back and revisit that movie, like a little tear, a little tear for powder. I can't revisit that movie because of the director, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> so for me, the, I, the first one I wrote, somebody else has. So I'm going to maybe hold mine back and we'll get there. But the other one I had was, okay, I know you didn't watch Game of Thrones, but there was one character who died that I cried. And I was like, I will never be able to watch this again because it's so upsetting. And that is the dragon that is killed by the Night King. (laughs) 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 It is so upsetting, DJ. It is so heartbreaking. Like it's like, it's totally the, you know, um, like the dragons flying around and the Night King gets this javelin and he just throws it. And then the, dragon makes this sound like it cries it falls and it's just like so devastating um <laughs> that like of all the like hundreds of characters that died i just shrugged when this dragon died i was like too far game of thrones <laughs> too far so that was that was one of my two but we'll get into it when we get into the listeners okay so the first answer comes from john and he says this was one of my first novels I ever read as a kid, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. And when the beloved teacher of the, or leader of the rats, Nicodemus, was killed, oh, I wept. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever read or watch that cartoon when you oh, were yeah. growing up? Yeah, and it was like one of the first dark cartoons mm-hmm. you're introduced to where mm-hmm. like things go bad and the owl is like this dusty old evil thing and like, yeah. He, it's it's that thing when you're young that sparks the imagination of looking into crevices on trees and and like bushes <laughs> and stuff and like finding little hollows and things is because you just like assume that there's like a rats and nim living back there with like a makeshift lighting system and a bunch of like matchboxes turned into beds. Yeah, I definitely this was definitely one of those movies that I was super obsessed with and also traumatized by as a kid. I feel like when we were a kid, all of the cartoon not all, but there were lots of cartoons that were supposedly for kids but were actually super scary it's probably why i love horror so much but like this and the last unicorn and all the like rankin bass movies Mm -hmm. i i loved them as a kid but they scared the shit out of me yeah i i i liked that cartoon me Um, too and and that's a that is a sad yeah spot especially when you find out like what it is and like what the backstory is you're like Mm -hmm. oh man we need to be better as humans. Okay. So this next one comes from your drummer buddy, Sheldon Buck, uh, <laughs> fellow drummer. So he actually, his answer was my other answer that I was saving so that, you know, I wouldn't steal his thunder. So spoiler alerts for the talisman. <laughs> uh, when Jack's friend Wolf dies in the talisman, still chokes me up, he says. Oh, me too, dude. Me too. And then he says, and because Sheldon just needed to throw some salt in the wound for me, he protected his herd. (laughs) I can't take it. My heart. That's the heart. I love that book so much. But like, that's the part that I dread every time I reread it. I'm like, no, it's coming. It's coming. I I know that like there's the Netflix series coming. I don't know how I'm going to handle it in live action. (laughs) Are they making a talisman live action? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I don't know if I told you about this, but they are making one on Netflix and it's being done by the guy that did or the two brothers that did Stranger Things. Okay. So that means they have a budget. They 
um, Stranger Things totally Stephen King influence. So they get the vibe and like they have cachet at Netflix. So they're probably going to be able to do whatever the they want, which is like, super exciting because I want, you know, the territories to be rad. So wait, is Stranger Things over then? This, uh, there's, I think, one more season coming. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's almost over. I haven't even, yeah. I, it was so long between seasons that I've like lost track and stopped paying attention. I mean, I'm going to watch it. I love it. But the, the length of time between seasons is going to make it really, the timeline very challenging for me because they started off as fetuses and now they're like basically like ARP. Gonna be really weird. Okay, so Tim says more spoilers, and this one I totally agree with too. He says, "Wash in Serenity." Did you ever watch? Uh, did you ever watch like um Firefly? Or yeah, Serenity? yeah, I watched Firefly. Ugh. Okay, yep. so in this movie Serenity, sorry to spoil it for you, but there's a very upsetting wash scene. Professor X and Logan agree so <laughs> yeah. much. Did you see Logan? Yep. That's such yep. a good movie. And then like, oh, Professor X is like all old and decrepit and then he dies. It's so upsetting. Okay. Mickey Mickey and Rocky 3. Connor's mum and a monster calls, which I did not see because it looked sad. And then this one absolutely gets me. Ellie in Up. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What about you on that one, DJ? Oh man, that one's like that movie takes you such through such a emotional yes. roller coaster in like the first thirty minutes, four yeah. minutes. Yeah. You're like you're introduced with all of this like relevant life stuff that is so adjacent to everybody's normal everyday life that you're like, yes, 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 yes. And like there's little tragedies, but they're like still happy. And then like uh-huh. You're like, no, 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 don't show it to me. I don't want it. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, but now we have talking dogs. You're like, but I'm totally traumatized. I know, right? Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know that I'm ready for a squirrel. (laughs) I'm still processing my feelings about Ellie. (laughs) Although I do love that movie. Okay, this next one is 100% childhood trauma for me. I cannot believe that they make kids read this book when they're young. And that is when little Anne and old Dan died from where the red fern grows. <laughs> oh, did you read that in school? Yeah, that and uh, Charlotte's Web or the other oh, one you get God. smacked around with. The Velveteen Rabbit is another one that is fucking brutal. I don't know if I've, uh, if I've read that one. Oh, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so like the mess up thing is, is I had no idea that that's how it actually ended. So my mom read it to me when I was a little kid. And she, like, happened to have read ahead. And so she's, like, made up a, like, ending about them living happily ever after. And then in second grade, I still remember this, and it was second grade. They, like, put the cartoon on. And I was like, oh, this should be fun. It's not fun. <laughs> like, my mom said she came to pick us up at school. And, like, all the children came out sobbing. <laughs> so what happened? Upset. Are you okay? Because he, like... She gets like some really infectious disease, and so they have to burn all of her toys, including the Velveteen Rabbit, which is uh, anthropomorphized in the book. <laughs> it's so messed up. Okay, so yes, a hundred percent agree with that. The other one she said is, of course, Professor Snape. R.I.P. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Snape is very sad. Yes. Okay. Um. Definitely spoilers. John Coffee in the Green Mile. Holy oh, shit! Oh yeah, that yeah. Sucked. 
I was, yeah, like I told him on the dis, like on our Facebook group, was I was sad slash angry at the end of that book. Uh, that one just came to Netflix too, by the way. So if you uh, if you haven't watched that in a long time, that and uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I love Shawshank. Popped on, and that's a Shawshank Redemption that has another like heartstrings death in it as well. Oh, right. Uh, the old guy, yep, right? The yeah, oh, guy. right. Yep. Yes, when he gets out. And yep. then there's like that montage of his post prison life. Yep, yep. Oh, and God, I haven't thought about that. It doesn't work out. No, it does not. Mm. No, it does not. And then Red is like about to do it too. Yep. Oh, that movie. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. I'm getting emotional. All right. <clears throat> So Bridget says, have you read A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara? Uh, I don't think I've ever read, I've ever cried so much in my life uh, as I did reading this book. Have you read this book? No, I have no idea what this is. A Little uh, Life? Yes, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia because I was like, oh, I want to know what she's talking about. This thing sounds brutal. It sounds like wall to wall, just tragedy. Like it's about a group of friends and there's like, self-harm sexual assault suicide like it's just like all these characters just spiraling into awfulness sounds brutal Hmm. so i don't know that i'm gonna pick up a copy of that bridget but i appreciate the warning and i sympathize with your feelings all right so james says my childhood watch oh my god James is a troll. <laughs> he says he he watched his childhood die while watching Star Wars Episode One: A Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah, that one was rough. I resisted the urge to make like a Jar Jar joke. Those are so interesting because um, if you go talk to someone that is generationally behind, yeah, where we're at. Yeah, those movies are pivotal, pivotal to their love of Star Star Wars. Yeah, and if you were before those, they have nothing to do with it, and are like kind of a black tarnish in the middle of the yeah. series before you get back to the regular stuff. And I had never actually met anybody who like looked back at those with fond memories until uh-huh. like I sat down with like a twenty eight year old, and they're like, "Yep." Oh, yep. no, like, these are amazing. My friend Larry will argue that the greatest Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith. Like, he, that's the best one. His favorite character is um, Anakin Skywalker. Ugh, gross. I, so I'm, like, weirdly in the middle. Like, forever I hated the prequels. I had never, in fact, yeah, I had never seen the third one. I was just, like, I watched the first two and I was, like, I'm done. These are <laughs> And then... The cartoons came out and I watched all of Clone Wars and all of these all of these cartoons that, you know, are around it, like Rebels, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, because all the like soul that is missing of those movies, all of the character building and all of that stuff is that's missing and makes those empty happens in these cartoons so that when you they they create this weird foundation that when you go back and you watch the prequels. You now have all the investment and understanding of the characters that is not present. So all of that shit works the second time. So now I feel let the Phantom Menace is still pretty hot garbo, but like the other two are not as bad. Mm. There still have moments where they're like when they're like rolling around in the field or like, you know, when he kills the younglings and stuff where you're like, come on now. But <laughs> it's weird how I went from hating them to being like, 
Okay. <laughs> so I guess my message to you, James, is if you want to revive the part of your childhood that died when you watched the episode one, is or episode one, is to go and watch all of Clone Wars. Spoiler alert, the first season is terrible, but you have to watch it anyway. Second season, it starts getting really good. And uh, and Rebels and Bad Batch, if you watch all of those and then you go back and you watch, especially Clone Wars, if you go back and watch those, you might be okay. You might be okay. All right. Last one comes from L.A. Ash. And they say, the book Stone Fox. I was reading it out loud for my kids. No idea that there was the death of a beloved character. I started sobbing and I still tear up if I talk about it. Didn't scar my kids too bad. <laughs> Did you ever read this? The Stone no, Fox? What is not this? a book I'm even familiar with. Yeah, it's a children's book. Yeah, <laughs> I see something about carrying a corpse across the finish line. <laughs> I'm guessing that's what she's referring to. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> okay, good to know. Uh, avoiding that one. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for sharing your answers um, and reliving, reopening those wounds. With us. <laughs> we hope it was not too traumatic. <sighs> and uh, yeah. I don't know. All right, cool. So here's the thing. I have been trying to think of a question for the next one, and I um, I was struggling. So what I'm instead going to do is I want to get your feedback on something. I don't have, like, kind of, like, a typical question. It's more like I want your input. So we just recorded our bonus episode, Maximum Overdrive, which will be coming out this week. And we had a ton of fun and we have some ideas for future things we want to do. And one of them involves kind of taking on some of Stephen King's shorter, um, like shorter projects, like his novellas or his short stories and doing an episode based on one of those. So I want to know from you guys, what short story would you like or and or stories would you like us to cover or discuss on a future bonus or extended episode? You can email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z dot com. Or you can, uh, I'm going to go ahead and post this on the Facebook like I always do. And you can leave it in the comments there and we'll discuss it and figure it out on the next episode. All right. So that, I guess, unless you're sticking around for the extended episode, is it for us this week. Um, oh, I got to do my plugs. Whoops. <laughs> Let's quickly do my plugs. All right. Just kidding. We're almost done. So like I said, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at castacottzombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us over on the Facebook group. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your pods. If it's Spotify, drop us that nice five-star rating make us feel real good if you're looking for something spooky to watch check out our video on demand and streaming calendar over on the zombie girls website it's women in horror month so there's lots of really amazing women directed horror films that are coming out this month for instance fresh dropped today which is supposed to be pretty amazing um yeah good stuff and if you're looking to support us with some merch, we have some cool merch that you could buy. And you can find that at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And finally, the best way to support us uh, is if you have a few, you know, if you want to do it with a little cash money, you can do that by supporting our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls, where you get all kinds of cool perks, like you can join our Discord and hang out with us all day. 
or you can uh, you get an extended episode on every podcast across the entire ZG network. And uh, you also get some really cool bonus episodes. Like I said, we just did one on Maximum Overdrive that you guys, I think, will really enjoy. And our uh, because it's Women in Horror Month, we have our big live show coming up. DJ, are you getting excited? Let's do this. <laughs> We're going to find out who the ultimate ally is <laughs> amongst the, all of the go- zombie guys in the Zombie Girls Network. <laughs> all right, cool. So. That is it for my plugs. Where else can they find you on the internet if they would love some more DJ in their life? Uh, you can swing over to the Dead Lantern podcast? Question mark? Is that... Uh, I don't even know what our podcast goes out on anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's going to be all... It's all going to be you, YouTube-y. Yeah, so there's something on YouTube. Go check that out. Um, I'm sure Rachel links to it somewhere. You can find me here on the uh, Zombie Girls Network. And occasionally there's some random stuff for sale on uh, Muffin Spank store on Etsy. Uh, otherwise, I'm pretty dead on the internet these days. Been playing a uh, little drums in a, you know, a folk band uh, on the weekdays. So that's my new thing right now until I decide to build something else. Um, at which point, then you'll see me somewhere else. And I'll mention that when it comes along. Otherwise, that's <laughs> it. Awesome. Well, you can find me on all of the various podcasts on the Zombie Girls network including zombie girls more deadly stream queens untitled nick cage and of course right here uh more recently i stopped by bloody good whore to review the film texas chainsaw massacre and one of my co-hosts ariel popped out on their last night before last to review nightmare alley so check out both of those episodes great show great people support them for sure um and oh i'm gonna be on i'm actually after this i get to turn around and record a new episode of here's johnny where we're going to be reviewing the film or the video game alien fire team elite which we recently played through and had a lot of fun and of course we have dj and i are part of a larger project that we can't i don't think we can announce it yet but stay tuned we we recorded something together the other day for that project which was a lot of fun (laughs) I mean, the recording part was fun. (laughs) The thing we had to do to make the recording less fun. I don't know about you, Deej. Oh, yeah, that movie. (laughs) That movie. Um, (laughs) I I will say, though, that looking up all that ninja stuff, um, and this is actually something everybody might enjoy. If you want a cheesy over uh, voiceovered um, horror slash kung fu movie that has like an industrial twist, uh, Machine Girl from I think like 2006 or 2007 Mm. is available with English dubs on Tubi. And that is just a great, silly movie. Um, So if you, if you want something that's like a popcorn toss in back, uh, enjoyable laughs with like a bit of over the top gore, um, you should definitely check that one out. Awesome. Good, good plugin. Good plugin. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that larger project, probably closer to May. I think that's when it launches. So we'll talk about it then. All right. So unless you're sticking around for the end or the extended episode, that really is it for today. DJ, take us out. Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of the cast of Ka, where we danced around the fact that zombies may have bodies and that note, <laughs> those bodies affect the ghosts and we have to believe it. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. DJ.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode, where once again, I'm going to present DJ with some strange news stories, and I want to get his take. Now, in the past, I've leaned kind of science-y. That's not really where my head was at today. We're going <laughs> to go straight. Like, it's going to be Cooksville Population 2, as in me and you. We're going to we get, like, some to uh, Tom Tom DeLong in here. <laughs> Uh, these are Tom DeLong adjacent. Like, I feel like these are definitely in his Google alerts. So if you can guess where this is going, it's uh, going to outer space. So how do you feel about that? <laughs> Let's Let, do it. Okay. Game baseline. On. Where are you with aliens? Are you, are you bought in? Um, so I subscribe to two different theories depending on the day. One of okay, them fair. is the, uh, kind of, um, mathematical equation that uh-huh. shows that at some point, because the universe has been around for so long, that an alien race has, will, or did exist somewhere or is currently existing somewhere in the universe um, mm-hmm. adjacent to us. Uh, and then the other part of me is like, well, if the world or if the universe is expanding, are they even part of our universe anymore? Does that even count? And if you can't see them, does that mean they actually exist? <laughs> So, right. uh, and then the, that also leads into the like, is alien just a god? Because <laughs> like we believe in God, but what if God is just an alien that is like kind of futzed with us here and there, off and on? It's fun I to... mean, ancient alien theorists say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance.